I do agree about the Trace Leches. It has changed my life as well. It shaped it at times, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. And regarding ethnic foods, um, any pastries that you eat, they're technically Swedish or, you know, Norwegian. So that's ethnic as well, like the coffee cake. You know what I'm talking about? So some of you are like, oh, I don't really like ethnic food. Yeah, you do. They're called donuts. Um, <laughs> they're delicious. <laughs> hey, we've been going through a few things today. Uh, and this afternoon, I've got two more messages uh, prepared. But for those of you that are visiting with us, uh, you weren't here yesterday, welcome to family camp this morning. I want to bring you through just a few of the, I guess, points or a 30-foot or a 30,000-foot perspective, depending on how far you want to look at these past couple messages. Uh, we talked the first message about facts. There's a couple of things you need to know about facts uh, there is this thing that's in culture that really looks at facts being, well, popular opinion. Uh, that will equal correct convictions. And then you get this place where majority equals truth equals morality. I just want to bring you up to speed here. You'll see this all over in your cities, in our state, in our world, where you get enough people to think the same way, then that conviction must be correct. Nothing could be further from the truth. This reality of majority equals small truth equals small morality, this is really the formula for so many of the things that we're facing as followers of Christ. And then there's the personal opinion. You've maybe even heard it said, this is my truth. I, I just think this is for me. What's true for you is, is true for you. This is absolute relativism. This is human uh, ism. There's all these different big words. I don't need to bore you with the details, but the simple way of making something very complex simple is there's a personal opinion that people have, and somehow that equals correct convictions. This couldn't be further from the truth. You've, you've got to understand people's feelings don't equal truth because their facts based in that truth are really just based in their feelings. I don't trust myself that much. The truth is, uh, when we talk about facts, the fact that you need to know is God's word and the ways of Christ is where truth comes from. And the Holy Spirit's role is to illuminate and bring remembrance that teaching and that truth. These are the facts. Also that you're most likely to be killed by a vending machine than a shark attack. Some of you are still remembering that. We talked about facts and we talked about, um, well then, this, I guess the next sort of idea about what I wanted to bring to this place was uh, four of those facts specifically to you about your life. Number one, that you have a gift and it's not yours. God has given you something for the kingdom of God and it doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. It's meant to be sown uh, number two, the desert is a growing place. When you don't feel God's hand, if you wrote it in your notes, maybe you remember this, it doesn't mean he's not working. Just because you don't see God's hand working, it doesn't mean he's not moving. I'm hoping that there's a generation here that would base their relationship on God on what they know, not what they feel. We get really good at seeking God's hand, 
But we got to seek his face. We want to understand as Pentecostal people that there's an emotional response. There's something that happens within us, and that's, that's great. But there's an intellectual pursuit that also gives balance to our emotion. And sometimes in those moments, you've got to base your relationship with Jesus, not what you feel, but what you know in that place. Uh, we talked about that you've heard God's voice. Every single one of you have heard God's voice. They gave you a filter of how to determine what is God's voice and what is your voice. And then the last thing I just wanted to bring remembrance about the facts that we learned. If you're checking your notes or if you're not taking notes, then you're going to forget. And why am I up here? In fact, it's Sabbath day. Let's talk about that. I'm done. We're done. Bye. No, I'm kidding. Every pastor never works on Sunday. Um, following Jesus will cost you something, but it will pay others so much more. These are four facts for your life that the enemy doesn't want you to know. We talked about forgiveness last night. Through a different lens, maybe, than what you've been accustomed to, but a couple things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not endorsing. Forgiveness is not always forgetting. Forgiveness is not closing the door for justice. This is so important for us to know what forgiveness isn't, but forgiveness is, according to what Scripture teaches us, the life of Christ, forgiveness is truly wishing someone well. You know, that, that's a great way that you can ask yourself if you've truly forgiven that person is if you wish them well. And you stop playing the soundtrack of Johnny Cash, uh, sooner or later God's going to cut them down. You actually wish them well. Forgiveness in a very powerful way is reclaiming power. If you want to do a quick YouTube dive on this, just Google uh, on YouTube or just search um, different voices from the Holocaust that reclaimed the power that was taken from them through forgiveness. Forgiveness is stopping the hurt. Jesus says it is what? Finished. Father, forgive them. It stops here with me. And forgiveness is provision with the wounds. You remember Mephibosheth, lame in both feet. He's crippled and there's this restoration, but he's still wounded. He still has those places and spaces. This is where we've been, and it's important to know because we're building on where we're going. Because today we're just looking briefly about fear. Fear is a powerful emotion. It's an interesting source. One of the three forces that I think, well, scholars, psychologists, general opinion, snapple caps, would tell you that you're motivated by three forces, guilt, love, and, and fear. And fear is a powerful force uh, in your life as a kid. Has your parent, you think back for some of you, further than some of you, but have you ever gone down to the basement of your house and then you turn around and there's something behind you as you go up the stairs? How many of you have ever done this at some point? You go down the basement and you're down, it's your basement. You've been down there, but you're like, you're flipping the lights on before you get down there. 
It's your house. No one's in there. Or how many of you are so afraid that you turn on your cell phone light and you go down the stairs that you can see just fine to find the light switch to flick on the light? Don't look at me like I, I'm the only 43-year-old guy that does this. My mom used to ask me different times as I've ha asked, you know, like to help her with chores. She would say, hey, honey, can you take these? Um, I don't know why my mom sounds like that. <laughs> that was great. She sounded like Snoop Dogg. What's up, Eric? I want to talk to you. Yeah. Until the next episode. My mom was Snoop Dogg. That's what I'm saying. Um, my mom would say, could you take these? No, I'll just do the voice. It's better. Mom, uh, no, mom, I'm screwed up now. Uh, <laughs> mom, it's you, no, me. Uh, hey, Eric, can you take these pickles downstairs? I'm like, where, where, do you want me to, where do you want me to take them? Downstairs, just go down there. <laughs> you know, and when you raise Pentecostal, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different demons that do exist, and they're all in your basement. And so my mom would tell me to go downstairs. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but you can clap if you've ever done this. You go downstairs to put the pickles on the shelf. And then you turn around and you run. Clap if you've ever done that. You run up the stairs because of your lack of faith in the Holy Spirit. That's how I got you. But the reality is fear is the opposite of trust. And in our context, we think about fear so often as dread and terror, as something that we're afraid of, something that we should fear. It's this emotion that overcomes us. And it, what you need to know, in Hebrew, there's a word for fear. It's yura. Yura is the Hebrew word for fear. And there's about 100,000 words in English and about 4,000 words in Hebrew. Okay? And some of those words, because there's so many in English, when we're trying to determine what it is in Hebrew, some of those things have to play double duty. Some of those words in Hebrew, just because of the lack of actual numeric, like you could say count, or the actual amount of Hebrew words, Hebrew words have got a lot of color and context depending on where they're used. And a lot of them have polar opposites of what they actually mean. And the Hebrew word for fear is yura, and it actually means dread and terror, but it also means awe and wonder. It means dread and terror, this is true, but it means worship and respect, awe and wonder. One of the things that you need to know, just a side note, is the word reverence actually has the root etymology of the word yura. The word reverence has got the word yura at its core because yura in Hebrew is not just dread and terror, it's actually awe and wonder. There's this respect. Now, normally I would mark all of these verses and we would go through them line by line, but excuse me for just the sake of time, I want to be able to use this. Church, I'm going to go through a few Bible verses, and I want you to just answer the question, is this fear or is this fear? Is it 
fear or fear? Is it dread and terror or is it awe and wonder? Is it fear as in we're afraid of what's in the basement or it's fear as in we are so unbelievably overwhelmed with the enormity of the beauty and splendor? Is it fear or is it fear? You ready? Because it matters. Acts 9, 31, the church is to be built up in the dread and terror or the awe and wonder. Leviticus 19, 3, God commands us to yira our mother and father. Fear your mom and dad. Dread and terror or awe and wonder? <laughs> kind of depends on what you did. Did you ever lose your dad's keys? Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Awe and wonder? Mm -mm. Dread and terror. Some of you are like, oh, wow. And then your mom goes, wait till dad comes home. It wasn't awe and wonder at that point. No, but the, the truth is, is it's not dread or terror. It's, it's reverence or respect. You know, can I just have a side note here for the parents? Just, this is in my notes later, but as I think about this, dads and moms, can I just encourage you, when you show up in your house, when you show up in your kid's presence, does Yura fear or fear, does it show up? Does dread and terror show up or awe and wonder? Does respect does respect, awe, reverence, does that show up in your kids' heart or does dread and terror show up in your kids' hearts? Because when the father walks in the room, when the father walks in the room, there should be awe and wonder. And one of the greatest things you could ever do as a dad is make sure, I'm talking to the dads right now, that your kids, when you walk in the room, peace walks in the room with you. I know there's a lot of tensions, but to, dads, I'm, this is, let me just tell you something right now. This is not um, in this topic, so it might feel a little disjointed. I have found in our life, dads, that we give everybody in our life the longest fuse to where we explode with emotion or, or frustration or anger or any of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do. We give people at work a really long fuse, annoying people that drive you nuts I'm talking about no one at Summit. Okay, so if you're from Summit today, relax. I'm not talking about you. This is a metaphor for everyone else. This has nothing to do with my life. Okay? But dads, we give a lot of people a lot of rope. However you want to use the metaphor, like there's an there's a, there's a element where people wear out your grace. They wear out your peace. And then your kids, you know who gets the shortest fuse in your life? Your children. Your patience with them is so thin because you've given it all to everybody else. I've lived like this. One of my greatest regrets is moments where I have just been the dread and terror in my family. Where my kids aren't choosing the path because they're running towards the light or the heart connection. They're fleeing the flames and the punishment. 
And there is a difference. And dads, you make all the difference in the world when one of the fruit of the spirit is cultivated and grown, watered and sown when it comes to patience. Because peace and patience, I think, go hand in hand. Deuteronomy 12 or 10, 21 He's the Lord your God who performed for you great and awesome wonders. Great and yira wonders. Dread and terror are on respect. It's translated for us to see with your own eyes. Psalm 66, 3. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Say how yira are your deeds. How scary or how amazing. Philippians 2.12, Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that same phrase, fear and trembling, that vernacular is used in Jeremiah 33.9. And this city shall be, to me, shall be to me a name of joy, praise and glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble. Yura. Or yira, fear or fear because of the good and the prosperity that I provide for it. It's Proverbs 14, 26 through 27. Whoever yira, fear or fear the Lord has a secure fortress and for their children it will be a refuge. For the dread and terror of the Lord or the awe and respect and wonder of the Lord is the fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Fear or fear. When I was a kid, I had a waterbed. If you're here tonight, or today, this afternoon rather, and you have a waterbed, by tonight, get rid of it, because you're weird. <laughs> if you're driving one of those campers and you're glamping, and you have a waterbed in your camper, you need prayer. <laughs> Waterbeds are the strangest things. Like I would jump into my waterbed at night. I'm like, cannonball. No, I'm kidding. And my mom would be like, she'd come and tuck me in and I'm laying in my waterbed. I'm like, good night, mom. I love you. I think I'm going to be sick. I'd put on my floaties. I'd go out past the covers. I remember laying in my waterbed one night, and I got to ask you, fear or fear? I'm laying there, and I'm just trying to go to sleep. And if you've ever been trying to go to sleep and you hear a noise, have you ever been just trying to go to sleep and you hear a noise? And it's like, and you're like, what was that? You don't know what it was. It's not the furnace. It's not someone digging through the fridge for the mustard or the Chick-fil-A sauce. Finally, they started selling that stuff. Chick-fil-A is going to be in heaven. Canes, maybe not. You know why? They're open on Sunday and Abel was killed by Cain. So, you should think twice where you go on Sundays. But if you've ever been laying in your bed and you hear the noise, what have you do? What have you done? You hear the strange noise and you pull the covers over your head. <laughs> like, that's going to help. Like, I know you all shouldn't or you don't or you definitely don't tell your grandkids to read Harry Potter, but all of a sudden you're like, oh, like this invisible cloak of invisibility from Lord of the Rings? See how I saved that joke? Somehow you're all okay with token. Anyways, moving on. 
But I heard this noise in my bed, and I was like, what was that? I pulled the covers over my head. And then the covers started to come off of my bed on their own. Something is at the foot of my waterbed, and it's pulling the covers off until the covers are gone. I'm, I went to Bible camp, okay? There is a demon in my room. My, it's over right now. I read about Smith Wigglesworth and the whole, oh, it's just you, the devil, and I'm supposed to roll over and go to bed, but I am scared out of my mind right now, filled with dread and terror. The covers are gone. I'm laying in my waterbed, trying to sleep in tongues, whatever it takes. And this hand, this claw, this little paw grabs my leg and this mass comes up from the bottom of my bed, like in slow motion, just catching a little bit enough, just enough of the moonlight where I'm in a Stephen King novel. Why are you laughing at that joke? You know who he is, okay. Interesting point of contention. And I screamed so loud. Finally, when something does come out, I, it took me a while, by the way, to get it out. It's like, and then, <laughs> my dad comes in the room, flips on the light. He's laughing hysterically. And he goes, way to go, Stephanie. My sister takes off the mask. My dad paid my sister five bucks <laughs> to hide underneath the corner of my bed to scare me half to death. I thought my family loved me. Apparently not. Fear or fear? Actually, for me, I was so impressed that my dad did that of awe and wonder and so terrified. It was all housed in one moment. Fear or fear. It matters what we do. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, I want you to just open it up to the book of Jonah because we're going to talk about Jonah and the boat. I won't go into the entire story, but I want to just highlight a couple pieces here. First chapter of Jonah, verse 9. So if you remember the story, Jonah's running. He is running from his call on his life. And he's on this boat. And God sends this storm according to the text. So I want you to understand that Jonah is trying to flee. God is sending this storm. And we come up to this point in scripture at verse 9. He said to them, I am a Hebrew. I, Yura, the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men, verse 10, Chapter 1, the book of Jonah. Then the men became extremely yura, and they said to him, how could you do this? Fear, and then fear. Right here, one verse later. Flip, flop. Which one is it? Yura or yura? How could you do this? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they get this idea in verse 15. They chuck Jonah over the boat. And the sea stopped its raging. And the men then feared the Lord greatly. The sea stopped its raging. It became still. And the men, Yurad, 
the Lord. I would offer to you, this is not something that they feared of dread and terror, but they offered an, a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I want to talk uh, briefly today with our time remaining about three fears that you may uh, have. Three fears that I think if you don't have them, you'll move into what's tonight, a new life in, in fire, on fire, walking with fire, housing fire. Three fears. The first fear is I think people actually fear they're not saved. How many times are you going to get saved? I'm going to ask the question. Because as a person who gives invites for salvation and I ask people the question, is this your first public response? Is this the place where you are believing and repenting in Jesus for the first time? No, no, I've done it a hundred times. Well, quit getting saved. That's my counsel. Can you stop coming to the altar to get saved? I think some of us actually fear that we're not saved. And so we've got to do something to live in a reality that we're already living in. Let me unpack this. Jesus does make warning in Matthew 7 about a salvation that we do not possess, so we need to take it serious. Salvation happens in a moment. Coming to Jesus is one thing, but becoming like Jesus is another. But I think we've got to stop fearing that we're saved. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but can I just maybe give you a really good definition of, of salvation the best I can. When you maintain a confession of belief and a posture of repentance, this is key. If you can change your um, mind about onions, then you probably could change your mind about Christ. Maintain a confession of belief. How many of you did not like onions when you were a kid and you like them now? Put your hand up. Put it up. Okay, how many of you still don't like onions? Okay, you're crazy. They're delicious. <laughs> a maintain a confession of belief and a posture of salvation. Um, what, is, what is salvation? I just want to highlight this briefly for you um, because it's not bad, but we talk a lot about in theological terms about accept and ask and invite. And the Bible not necessarily teaches that emphatically. It's actually repent and believe. Believe and repent and be baptized. This is the process for salvation. If you've done those things, Jesus even gets it even grittier and he says, obey and follow. Um, anybody got a quarter? Okay, can you just throw it to me? Okay, well then don't throw it. Just, geez, lady. Why the line drive? It's like a lot. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anybody got a $100 bill? <laughs> There's two sides of this quarter. There is a head and a tail. You ready? Head or tails? Who says heads? Stand up. Okay. 
Tails, sit down. Stay there. Ready? This is for a lot of money. It's tails. See, that's why it's the Sabbath day. You're all at rest. And see what happened? Who's got a birthday in September? Who's got a birthday closest to September 4th? September 4th? On the money? Get down here, man. I love this. Give it up for the guy who's coming up here with no shoes. He's, he's definitely at family camp. Come on, all the way. In the light. Hey, man, I'm Eric. Hey, I'm Donnie. Hi, Donnie. I like you. Yeah, I like you. Thanks, dude. Um, I got a quarter for you. It's from that lady. Do you need it back? That's an investment into an illustration. Donnie, the best way I can explain salvation to you is every time you look at a quarter, it's got two sides. You can forget me, Donnie, but never forget this. There's the heads and the tails, okay? And in the same way, salvation is one part belief and one part re uh, repentance. It, it's the same coin, but there's two sides, and you must have both. Scripture is very clear. There's a belief there's a faith in evidences that you don't see. Uh, there, there's, a, there's an evidence in, in something that you don't see, and there's a repentance. There's Donnie's way, and there's Christ's way. And it's a two-sided coin. It's so important to understand this, that you need both parts. Does that make sense? Yep. Here's your quarter. Give it up for Donnie on September 4th. It's his birthday coming up. Maybe somebody could get him a pair of shoes. Where's the North Central band? Band, get up here. You got to run. Hurry up. Get up here. Run, you're athletes. We talked about this, remember? You're out, of, you're out of breath already just from getting up. Okay. If you weren't here earlier, it's an inside joke. You should have came to family camp earlier. Adjust your schedule. It's not hard. All right, now I've got a question. Right now, just... Pretend you're at your instruments. You don't have to, you can pick them up. Yeah, we got time. It's only 11.35. We get to be done at one. So am I, am I with the band right now? Am I with the band? Yeah, I'm with the band, right? Like I'm, I'm like into this band. They're my favorite. Like they're, they're my jam. I'm with the band. You know, like there's a word that maybe you know from like Woodstock when you were, you know, like groupies. You know, people that follow the band all over the place. Don't look at me like you don't know what that is. But when you are a fan of the band or you're with the band, I'm with the band. Now, give me an instrument. I play the guitar. Uh, can I pick this up? Okay, can I drop it? No. Okay, let's say I had a, I had a role. And right now we are going to do in G. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Now, if I played, am I in the band? I'm asking you, if I was in this band and I played an instrument and I went to North Central back in 1997, graduated in 2001, I'm going to cry right now. <laughs> am I in the band? Yes. 
If I play in a band, I'm in the band. But if I'm just a groupie, I'm just with the band. See, here's the deal. Same way with Christ. Band, you guys can all leave. The altar call is not till tonight. That's the rule. No, that, I mean, that's it. Sorry. Go back and sit down. Now you don't have to, you got more steps in. That's a plus. Give it up for them. They're amazing. So there's a difference in watching music made versus participating in the symphony. The same is with Christ. You can be with Christ or in Christ. Does that make sense? Repentance makes way for this. It's belief in action. What repentance is not, by the way, is simply just saying a sinner's prayer, checking some evangelistic box at some one of our outreaches. It's not feeling sorry for your sin or a confession even of sin or getting religious or partial surrender. And it certainly isn't perfection. What repentance is, is a presence of a constant request. Jesus, what is your way? I want to go this way, but Jesus, what is your way? Luke 6 46, you call me Lord, but you don't do the things I ask. You call me Lord, but you don't do what I'm asking you to do. What was Jesus' position on fill in the blank? It's about following Jesus, not just stopping sin. It's a change of direction with spirit-filled change of desires, and that may take time. When you become a follower of Christ, it's like you were a pig and you think like a pig. You're in a pig body, but you get transplanted to the lion heart of Judah and it takes time for you to stop thinking like a pig and start living like a lion. And there's this thing that happens over the process of this beautiful thing called repentance and sanctification. It's this beautiful thing that unfolds in us. But I'm telling you that Living saved and being saved are two different realities. Quit running from flames and start running from light. Being in Christ is a faith declaration, a posture of repentance with action. Start narrowing your focus and stop worrying about getting to heaven and worrying or having fear that you're saved and start bringing heaven to earth. There's sins of admission, things that we do, and there's sins of omission, things that we don't do that we're supposed to do. And if we could ever get off the, the fear, the dread and terror that our salvation is incomplete, it's not sealed by the work of the Holy Spirit, that it's, it's somehow always evading us, I think we can actually live as the people of God, not someone who's pursuing this perpetual relationship with salvation that you already possess. Bring heaven to earth becomes your focus rather than worrying in dread and terror that you're going to get to heaven. It changes everything. Proof you're saved. You ready? I'm going to give you some proof you're saved. If you have a love for God with a verbal, or as we learned yesterday, some, of your, some people can't actually physically speak, so what do we do there? with a verbal internally or externally 
declaration, a love for others with tangible action, and you struggle with sin. You're dead to sin, but sin isn't dead to you. And if the struggle is real, I'm telling you, repentance is this form where you are constantly leading yourself to new life by asking the question, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What is your way? Some assurance from the Bible, John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. You are his betrothed, John 14, 1 through 3. Let your heart not be troubled. He goes to prepare a place for you. John 15, 15, I don't call you servants, but I call you friends. Quit fearing that you are not saved. This is important because it changes how you live until you reap that reward. When I was driving through Texas, I was speeding. I don't know about you, but if I ever just see a police officer on the road, and if there's any police officers here, thank you for your service. Thank you for, can we just give our police officers a round of applause? Thank you for doing what you do. But I'm telling you, sir or ma'am, when you're in your cop car, full blues badge and a gun, you make me a nervous wreck when I'm driving. The worst thing you ever do if you're a police, the worst thing a police officer ever does is, is as a general rule, when they come up behind you with their lights on, but they're going to another call and you don't know that. <laughs> they're just up behind you with their lights on and you're like, oh no, I am going to jail. I'm going to jail in Lake Geneva. That's it. And they go right around you and all the adrenaline and everything that I'm driving in Texas and I don't have my seatbelt on. Oh, I know, horrible. Wow, like you never did that. <laughs> Pick on the guy up front. Okay, I've seen some of you do this. You're not wearing your seatbelt, you see a police officer, and then you put the fake, sh fake seatbelt on. It's just your shoulder, it's not even buckled, you're just holding the sash like you're in missionettes. Donnie, you know what I'm talking about? I saw this cop, I'm in Texas, we're driving to uh, an event that I'm speaking at, and I, I see the cop, and I, and I get nervous, I'm 10 and 2, or 11 and 4, or just texting. <laughs> you see people do that, driving with their knee, drives me nuts, don't even get me started. I saw the police officer put on my fake seatbelt. He's got his radar on me. He flips around, turns his lights on. I know he got me speeding. I pulled over after a 10-hour chase <laughs> in my mind. So I, I pulled over, and he gets out of his car. And I'm in deep Texas. I was raised in Wisconsin, that foreign country that Pastor Mark talks about. But he had spurs on while he was driving his car. <laughs> if you don't know what spurs are, they're these like instruments of, of torture for horses that make them run faster. And they jingle and jangle like you're an old western with like John Wayne or something. He gets out of his car, he's wearing spurs. Why? Horsepower? I don't, like, 
And he walks up to my window and he knocks on the window with a bloody nightstick. No, didn't happen. If that ever does happen, that's you're a dread and terror. Just take off. Because you're in trouble. He gives me the universal sign for a roll down your window, which used to be this. But now all you rich people, including me, it's this. I mean, we still do this. Hey, what well, roll down your window? People are like, what, what is this? We don't even, are you baking? Make sure you whisk the eggs. Don't over whisk, you don't want the meringue not to be fluffy. You need to aerate it, but not too much. That sounded like my grandma. But this cop gets out and he says, I mean, it seems like I'm six rest rest place of mine. I'm here last rest place for me. What? I saw you speed back to my last registration. I'm going to pull you over. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to get you out. You're going to 45 for 45, ma'am. Bobby, come here. We need to talk to you. I'm like in a vortex of Texas, like Texylvania. And I can't understand him because I was like, sir, I'm sorry. I'm from Wisconsin. I can't understand you. We use punctuation. And you're just ripping this all together. Were you offended about punctuation? And he tells me finally, because I've been pulled over before, license registration, I get what he's saying, I give him the license registration. He goes back, he comes back, he gives me like a $250 fine. There's merch in the back. <laughs> and I think some of us actually fear that God is going to punish you. God is going to, or he is going to punish you. He's punishing you now, or he's going to punish you. And your relationship with the Father is much like a, a state trooper. You're just sitting there, and you know that the cosmic cop God is waiting just to nail you as soon as you step out of the rules or the regulations with a giant fine. And I got to tell you something. If you fear God is going or is going to punish you in Christ, you have a relationship with the rules, not the ruler. And the, the reality is I think people actually fear God like this. If you fear punishment in Christ, I want you to know, like, let these verses wash over you to get a grasp on his love for you. Let it reprogram the fear, the dread and terror, into a fear of awe and wonder and respect that God has, that you have. This beautiful thing that happens in Christ. Are you ready? Romans 8.1. I want you to all know this. In Christ, you are unpunishable. Quit fearing punishment. God is not punishing you. He's not going to punish you. In Christ, you are unpunishable. He is your advocate. Romans 8.1. There is part condemnation. There's a little condemnation. There is no 
condemnation to those who are in who? Christ Jesus, in the band, the two sides of the coin, not just with, but in, obeying, following, repentive, and verbally affirming, declaring the actual process of revelation. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say I am, Peter? And the reality is John, 1 John 2, 1 through 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if you do sin, know that you have Christ Jesus, the advocate who paid the propitiation, the ransom, not for just you, but for you and the entire world. Quit fearing that you are going to be punished. Jesus is this best lawyer in town. You're going to get out of this. The ransom has been paid. He's removed fear from our relationship. 1 John 4.18, write this down and get this tattooed on your arm. If your pastor says it's okay. 1 John 4.18, there, no there is no fear in love. There's no fear in love, but love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Let that perfection be a process, but don't strive for it. Just be in process, and don't fear that God is going to punish you now or is or in the future in Christ. Third fear, 10 minutes left and we'll end a minute early. Third fear, I think people actually fear that God is mad at you. Like he's angry at you. I think some of you will remember this book, um, Dr. Jekyll. Some of you said Seuss. Just wanted to see where your brain was going. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hi. Hi, there's this two personalities in this one person. There was a really great moment, and then there's this really horrible moment. I think sometimes we look at God like that because we read the Bible um, forward, not backwards. We don't read it through the cross. We read it pre-cross, and then we apply a bunch of these things outside of the covenant that we're in. The Bible is the written covenant between God and us, and it is actually his progressive revelation of him to you. That is my hermeneutic that anchors me when I study scripture or I teach scripture. And there are things that we start to look at, well, God did that then, so he must be doing that to me now. Jesus changed everything. Dr. Graham talked about the new wine in the new wineskin, the new covenant. There is so much of this, and I want you to know that God is not mad at you. He's not mad at you. In fact, he loves you. He's crazy about you. Get this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde out of your brain. I'll give you another more updated version of this metaphor. Dr. Banner? And who? The Hulk, Dr. Bruce Banner, 
and the Hulk. And by the way, while we're talking about Marvel and the indiscrepancies that exist, why in the world does Dr. Brandt Banner in a beautiful white lab coat with glasses and a dark, maybe navy blue or black pair of pants and a white button-up or gray t-shirt, depending on the comic and the edition you're reading or the movie you're watching, when he turns in from Bruce Banner to the Hulk, why is it all of a sudden in this certain outfit he turns green? Never even, let's not even talk about the green. I'm not worried about the size of his muscle or the fact that he turns into this beast. How does he go from wearing blue or black slacks to purple pants? <laughs> what is up with the purple pants, Stan? I want to know. I think some people think that God's on the verge of anger and he's mad at you. I want you to hear this today, that God speaks through the prophet Isaiah, the mountains and the hills will be removed. Can you imagine the mountains of Denali or Yellowstone, the Rockies up in Banff in Canada, the Alps, Everest, K2? I'm naming all of the rooms that we've named in Summit, by the way. <laughs> They're all mountains. Mount Carmel is my favorite room. It's delicious. <laughs> the mountains will be removed, but my kindness shall never leave you, nor my covenant of peace with you ever be removed. There's a word here, shalom. Safe, well, happy, friend, health, prosperity, wellness. When God shows up, Peace shows up. That is good news. In Christ, God is not mad at you. Go ahead and smile. This is a beautiful thing. 2 Corinthians 5, 2, 1. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm telling you, church, that your life will include suffering. There is no doubt about it. In Christ, you are going to include, your life's going to include suffering, but it will not include wrath. Jesus took care of that. We don't get wrath. We get Christ. You can go to your Bible for the last bookend of this message this morning to Matthew 8, 23. Before we get to this text, can I just remind you of a few of the setting characters of the story of Jonah. When Jonah was on the boat, where was God according to the text? Outside, not in the boat, sending the storm. When Jonah was thrown overboard. There was a yira and then a yira. The peace of the water became still after there was an appeasement to this God. You get this setting very different here in Matthew 8. The Bible is God's progressive revelation of him to us. We catch up with Jesus on a boat in Matthew 8. 23 through 27, he got into the boat and his disciples followed him and a furious storm came up on the lake. So the waves swept over the boat, 
but Jesus was sleeping. He's taken a nap. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, you have to save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, and it became completely calm. What you need to know today is there are three fears I hope don't exist in your life, and they move from dread and terror to awe and wonder. Let the awe and wonder and the reverence and fear of God fill you and direct you, but let the dread and terror of God be put to the wayside in your life. God in the story of Jonah is outside of the boat actually sending the storms. And Jesus in this story is in the boat through and calming the storm. Jesus is not the sender of the storm. God does allow things. We're not going to talk about that in the next three minutes. But the reality is this. Jesus is the anchor in the storm at rest with you through. Have awe and reverence and be swept up in the era of it all. Jesus is on the boat with you at rest, waiting to calm those waves, calm those storms. You don't have to throw anyone overboard unless it's your middle child. He's sitting right there. I can, he's laughing. Trust me. He knows I'm talking to him. <laughs> but the truth is, is God is the anchor in that storm that holds you steady in that storm. I want you to really grab a hold of this word fear, fear today, this era today, because there's all kinds of problems that plague our churches, plague our relationship with Christ because of these three fears, dread and terror, when they need to be fear as in era, awe and wonder and respect. Not the word of God shape your life.